you have a sudden me scratching my balls. Hello and welcome to One Star Bazaar, where we review the movies critics hated in search of the unfairly underrated. This week we are venturing into the world of James Bond to review the only one-star film from the famed franchise. Critics said Roger Moore was too old, the movie was too long, and had too much action. Let's see what we think. A View to a Kill, directed by John Glenn, written by Richard Maybaum and Michael G. Wilson. This movie was released in theaters May 24th of 1985. It is therefore older than me. Congratulations. <laughs> it's not older than me. <laughs> Stars, of course, Roger Moore as 007, Christopher Walken, Tanya Roberts, and Grace Jones. Our synopsis is... An investigation of a horse racing scam leads 007 to a mad industrialist who plans to create a worldwide microchip monopoly by destroying California's Silicon Valley. This movie has a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 40% on Metacritic, putting it just barely within our purview. I was able to find a couple reviews from the release of this movie because sometimes Rotten Tomato scores can get a little bit skewed from critics when a new critic who wasn't around when the movie came out becomes a critic and then decides to review old movies. But these are from the actual time period. So Jack Kroll of Newsweek said in his seventh movie as James Bond, Raj is looking less like a chap with a license to kill than a gent with an application to retire. That's, that's harsh. Bill Cosford of Miami Herald said a view to a kill, also like recent Bonds, is long. And though it's crammed with action, car chase, boat chase, blimp chase, you lose track, it begins by the second hour to seem quite long indeed. Paul Atanasio of the Washington Post said there is some magnificent stunt work, which only underscores how inadequate Moore has become. Moore isn't just long in the tooth, he's got tusks. And what looks like an eye job has given him the pie-eyed blankness of a zombie. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's not believable anymore in action sequences, even less so in the romantic scenes. Oh boy. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and stream this on Pluto TV with some commercials. Um, it is available if you have the Amazon Prime Stars package. But if you have stars, you can't watch it. You only can watch it through Amazon Prime Stars. So we'll go ahead and screen it and then get into our review. Okay, Jonathan, you chose this movie. Yes. You've been wanting to watch it for a while. Yes. Well, explain to me your reasoning behind that. Because it's a James Bond movie. It's the only James Bond movie. Okay, here's the thing. It's not the only James Bond movie that most people would probably consider to be bad, or at least not good, mm -hmm. but based on our very concrete standards, it's the only one that qualifies, which actually was surprising. In fact, it's not just surprising to me, when we did a podcast recently with Mike from Cinemusts, mm -hmm. he had guessed that one or two of the other ones, like... Um, I think Die Another Day, which was the final uh, Pierce Brosnan mm -hmm. film. I would have guessed Moonraker would have been 
a one-star film. I mean, that's like James Bond in space. Like, that's <laughs> super just campy, like, how ridiculous can you get? But no, amazingly, several of those movies, even though they're in the 50-60% range, none of them got down to below 40%. And I feel like James Bond is really one of those beloved franchises, so to have any movie of it really not be liked by critics is surprising to me. Right, like, so we were talking about, there's a Twitter poll recently, and people were talking about, like, what's the best franchise overall when you factor in the weaker and stronger movies. So, for example, Star Wars. As much as people want to crap on the prequels for Star Wars, they're still legitimately okay movies, right? I mean, they're not great because, of course, you're comparing them to some of the most beloved movies that have ever been made. However, they are still not, like, utter garbage, right? Yeah. They have, they're flawed, but there is some, some good there. And, of course, that's what we do on this show. Not that we're... I don't know what the prequels actually have based on our standards. We'll, we'll, we'll look into it at some point. Maybe we'll watch them. So, anyway. confession time... You know this already, listeners. You do not know this. The only James Bond movies I have seen <laughs> are the Pierce Brosnan ones and the Daniel Craig ones. I don't think that's much of a I have seen confession. clips of Goldfinger. Right. And that's it. <laughs> okay. I had to watch some clips for one of my film glasses. Um, but I do want to talk about the acting in this movie for our first review category. And one of the main complaints critics had pretty much universally was that Roger Moore was too old for this role. So he's pushing 60 when this movie was made. Yeah. But what I find interesting about that is maybe it's because nowadays we're used to old action stars. Like, heck, a former Bond, Sean Connery himself is an old-ass action star in Entrapment. Like, (laughs) and Liam Neeson, he's in his 50s. He's a great action star now. Arnold Schwarzenegger, 60s. Granted, he was young when he first started. I'm sure, like, Roger Moore. But now he's old as heck. He's, like, 70, and he's still killing it as a Terminator. So... Having an older Bond wasn't as shocking to me. So here's one funny thing to point out that I just actually looked up. There is one James Bond film which is not... It's arguable whether or not it's considered to be an actual James Bond film. It's Never Say Never Again. Basically what had happened was one of the producers or writer... Oh, whatever. Somebody in charge of making the film Thunderball, which was the fourth James Bond film starring Sean Connery, somehow legally managed to retain the rights for that movie. And so what they did was they basically remade it and they got Sean Connery to come back and be James Bond again. Hmm. That movie was released in 1983. Oh. This movie, View to a Kill, was released in 1985. So essentially, we have... Two James Bond films within a couple years of each other, both with some old-ass James Bond (laughs) actors. But, but, here's the funny thing. Roger Moore is older than Sean Connery. Why is that funny? That's, like, 
Would you expect that? Sean yeah. Connery made like a bunch of James Bond movies. Then George Lazenby made one. Then they went out and got Roger Moore. They basically replaced Sean Connery in a roundabout way with a dude that was older than him. It's not like they were like, hey, we need the new... I mean, they did with George Lazenby. They tried to find, you know, the next young, hot guy to kind of take over and reset. But then when that didn't work, they were like, well, let's just go with uh, some other old British dude. I don't know. That's... I, I just you think don't it's see the funny. irony there? Well, I think it's funny that... During the premiere of this movie, Sean Connery himself said that Roger Moore was too old to be James Bond when he'd literally just played James Bond. But that's my point. Right it's... before that. And then later on in his career, where he's supposed to be seducing young Catherine Zeta-Jones in Entrapment, oh, he's not too old then? Like, but he's not being pot... James Bond in He's that being movie. a master thief spy man, okay? It is 100% the same thing. It's the pot calling the kettle black. If we want to talk about Sean Connery being old-ass, badass, whatever dudes, The Rock, he was the old dude, and he was awesome in that movie. Yeah. I mean, there's no... But there was, we, there was no young woman We're not woman complaining that he's, like, he's okay as a, as a badass, even when he's old. It's just the, oh, you can't be an old action star, and then he literally has an entire half of a career where he's an old-ass action well, star. Well, I think it's funny that he basically, he would have said that two years after he himself played James Bond in a James Bond film. That's what I'm saying. But my point is, Roger Moore's older than him, so he's like, oh, Roger Moore's too old, and then people would be like, well, you were just did it two years ago, and you're really old, and he'd be like, yeah, but I'm still I'm, younger I'm than not him. that old. Yeah, but... Anyway, but in terms of the acting, I feel like, as with all of these movies, for the most part, the acting is fine. Like, there's nothing overly wrong with it, especially for a James Bond movie. Like, I feel like the acting is never the best part of a James Bond movie. And I don't think this movie is particularly worse than any other James Bond movie I've seen. Let's compare it to the more modern incarnation. We'll probably do this a lot throughout this podcast. Comparing this movie... To the movies that get made nowadays that kind of occupy the same place in our culture. Mm -hmm. So, essentially, do you expect great acting out of a Fast and Furious movie? I mean, I wouldn't even put it there. I'd put it with, like, a Jack Reacher or a, a Jason Bourne or, you know, any other of those Mission sort Impossible. of Mission Impossible movies where there's just a generic spy action movie. No. You're not getting great acting. That's not what you go there for. I think ironically, though, in some of those movies, you do still get pretty good at I mean, I think the, the acting, the actors they get in Mission Impossible movies right now are a level above the acting that you get in Fast and the Furious movies. Yes. That's um, fair. And also they do a little bit less ridiculous things. I mean, yeah, do there's they? The no, they do. Do I think, they, Jonathan? Yes, because even do though they? Tom Cruise will be like, hey, I want to fly a helicopter, like, in space and stall out and then, like, jump out and be in, you know, like, parachute three miles down to the ocean. And the director will be like, yeah, okay, if that's what you want to do, I guess we can put in a scene like that in the movie. That is still less ridiculous than... The, some of the stuff they do with car, like, hey, let's turn this. Okay, like, but that's talking about the action and the story. I know that's not <laughs> about the acting. 
Okay. Focus here. Focus, buddy. I'm just saying, no, I said, in addition, the action sequences are less ridiculous, even though they are ridiculous in Mission Impossible. Fast so, and the Furious takes it to the, like, the absurdest so extreme. So this, this was one of my questions going into this movie, okay. because after doing the research and looking at the reviews and saying that there's too much action, I was like, coming into this movie, I was thinking, maybe it's just ahead of its time, because... Nowadays, you have to have action that's kind of outlandish and well, ridiculous to keep the audience entertained. True, but at the same time, nowadays, compare like compare like Mission Impossible or Fast and the Furious to Transformers. Okay? Transformers would be the franchise my go-to answer for what is a franchise that just has way too much ridiculous action. You know what I mean? Poor Michael like, Bay. We we trashed Michael Bay a little bit. <laughs> Not without cause, I think. Well, here's the thing about... Okay. In terms of this particular movie... Yes. There's a couple action sequences that are pretty fun. So there's there's the horse riding one where they're doing the steeplechase. Yeah. And everyone's trying to kill James Bond. That's enjoyable. I liked that. Okay. Um, there's the fire at the... What is it? The councilman's office? Yeah, it's the, like the city, city hall, hall or something. That's a pretty big and then action sequence. there's like a, a fire engine chase scene where all the police chase them. So the fire engine chase is less interesting than the fact that they're chasing him to a drawbridge that then gets raised. And him jumping the drawbridge in a fire truck is not the most outlandish part of that. It's that a police car gets stuck at the very top of the drawbridge and slides backwards into all the other police cars. And having just rewatched the Fast and Furious movies where in the second one they jump a car off a bridge onto a boat, I'm going to say that, you know, the James Bond version was quite tame. <laughs> well, no, that. that's definitely true. I think that that's yeah. just... You can say that a lot about movies from the 80s and early 90s. They definitely were pushing that envelope of action. But a lot of times... It kind of, just by modern standards, is a little more boring and tame. And you're like, it's not actually that exciting. It's like Jaws. Okay, Jaws was a super scary, like, thriller in 1975. Okay, watch well, it when nowadays. I saw it in 1990-80-whatever, yeah. it still scared the living hell out of me. Right. Do you but, know why I make the children get in the pool with me? Or why I force okay. you to go swimming anyway. with me? And why I won't go swimming by myself? <laughs> It's because of, Jaws. even in a swimming pool, it's because okay. of Jaws. My point is, I would let my five-year-old daughter watch Jaws. And I doubt Are she you would, insane? I doubt she would be scared she, by it nowadays. She got scared in like, she we couldn't watched, watch Jurassic World. Okay, this is ridiculous. Our children watch Jurassic World and love it. They love the dinosaur movie with Owen. They don't care that, that people get eaten. But we can't, they won't make it through 30 minutes of the second one because it's too scary. They also think I, the Netflix version of The Dark Crystal is too scary. Okay. Getting off. Getting off topic. The point is, movies used to be... What what used to be new and exciting in movies is tame nowadays. Yeah. And I'm sure the same thing will happen in 40 years. But in terms of, like, maybe I'm just desensitized to the action because I live in this Fast and Furious Michael Bay universe. Sure. But there wasn't too much action in this movie for me. Right, so you disagree with what the critics say. I disagree say, with what the critics say. There was too much action. So, on to this story. 
Now, while we were watching this movie, I had some questions, which went unanswered by Jonathan. So I'm confused why they chose to... So originally, it's about horse racing and why this one horse, even though it has crappy bloodlines, is beating all these amazing horses. And it turns out it's because it has this, like, magic steroid microchip implant that they can, like, remote control. Right, so its blood is queen. Yeah. But then essentially they can send a, a signal... A, a signal to, to dose it. Ju yeah, to yeah, inject to the horse actually when in time for the race yeah. after the blood test. So, like, in Cars 2, they push the button and the fuel explodes. In this movie, they push the button and the horse gets a boost of steroids. Um, then this leads to this global conspiracy for Christopher Walken to flood Silicon Valley in California with earthquakes. So sorry, sorry. Okay. Flood them with earthquakes. Okay, yes. Use earthquakes. Use earthquakes to flood Silicon Valley yes. so he can control the microchip market and keep dosing racehorses? <laughs> That's the big scam? No, the big... No, okay, no. What's the scam? Yeah, the, the main point... The main bad guy move of the movie is that they make microchips, their company... And they're evil, and so they want to control the world's supply of microchips and form a monopoly and form a cartel. And he has all of these other... Conference you know, room bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Corporate big wings. The, the, the typical conference room, boardroom bad guy scene where you go, somebody is going to be like, well, I'm out. I'm not doing this. And, of course, you know that guy's going to get murdered. True to form, that happens. But the point is, all of his partners in these other businesses that buy from him he's basically like hey we can come together and form a cartel and we'll destroy our competition by basically destroying silicon valley california but, right there and yet the idea of flooding silicon valley after a major earthquake is not the most outlandish like james bond plot line that there's been no here's the funny thing you know this is literally the same plot as World Is Not Enough, which came out, like, what? 90-something? 15 years later? Yeah. And that one was that they were going to use a pipeline to deliver bombs to somewhere else that produced oil. They were going to essentially, or create a war, I don't remember. They were going to do something to destroy the oil supply ability of another region of the world so that their oil company and oil-producing region would shoot up to being the main source of oil for the world and they would make all the money. Mm. Um, okay, so the only other problems I had with this story in this movie are a couple different things. So, first, Christopher Walken has this, like, stable of sexy lady <laughs> assassins. Well, yeah, he's a James Bond villain. What do you expect? Why? <laughs> <laughs> and then... Grace Jones, who, by the way, I am such a fan of her outfits in this movie. I know it's random, but, like, damn, that woman looks good. Um, but, like, they don't quite explain why she's, like, this super-powered person. So she's, like, the Jaws of... What's, what was the guy? The metal... Yeah, Jaws. Jaws yeah, in the, the other James Bond movie. Yes. She's the one who's got, like, super strength, 
assassiny goodness. She's, she's the right hand. Yeah, she's henchman. she's the right hand henchman, which was a killer. nice twist. I feel like from the typical James Bond spy thing. And then the other problem I had was with this environmentalist chick. So we first meet her at, at the horse racing bid. She's not thing. really an environmentalist chick. She's a geologist. Yeah. Whatever. She's an oil tycoon. Yeah. Who gets like, into geology because she wants to save the... No. She lives... Her, the truck was from, like, a conservation effort. She's, like, working to conserve something something. No, I didn't get that at all. She's not some, like, out to save the world whatever, like, oh, I no, it's horrible. No. She's just mad because her company is getting bought out. I swear her truck said something about conservation, whatever. Yeah. Anyway... Whatever her purpose is aside, or her motivations are. Okay, James Bond breaks into her house while she's showering, and then the Zorn's bad guys come to try to kill her, so he's like, oh, I guess I better protect her. And then she's like, okay, cool, I'll trust you, Mr. Reporter Man, who happened to kill all these assassin guys. I guess I'll trust you, even though you're in my house for no reason. And then later when he's like, oh, no, JK, I'm not a reporter. I'm James Bond. I'm a spy. You have to trust me. She's just like, okay, great. Like, what? What? This is, I'm sorry. What, this is almost every James Bond movie. I, I don't know. know. What to say. Like, this is a classic, like, men writing women <laughs> scenario where it's like, nah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one is buying that. Now, is this movie engaging? We <laughs> we did have to watch this over the course of two days just because Pluto TV has commercials and it's a long movie. So, you know, there's two hours plus commercials plus whatever. However, I mean, I didn't find this movie super boring. Did you? Okay. So they get this, recover this smuggled out microchip and they're like, huh, it says Zorin Industries. Let's go figure out what his deal is. And then you have this whole like, it felt like an hour, but it was probably only like 25 minutes. But this whole sequence... Like, you could have cut out the entire horse where, racing yeah, thing. They're like, what's his deal? Oh, he races, he breeds and races horses. And somehow they win, even though they shouldn't. Because they're not actually that great. Yeah, And like then they the discover whole... the doping. I know. It is weirdly... It is... It's like, okay. Why? And it wasn't an accident that they just happened to be like, oh, he has this horse doping lab. Which is also connected through this hallway to his microchip manufacturing room. Like, the, the writing and the story seemed lazy because they didn't really come up with a good, compelling mystery. There was no... Yeah, it kind of has the same problem that Lone Ranger had in that, like, you can get rid of a good, like, 30, 40 minutes of it. And you still have a halfway decent movie. Okay. Did this also okay. have the Highlander Endgame problem where it tried to be two different things? Because you have like this horse racing plot and then you have the Destroy Silicon Valley plot and while they're technically... I don't think... No, I don't think it had that problem. It didn't have that because the problem is that didn't know what its message was. This was just like, hey, James Bond is, uh, you know, a relic of the British aristocratic, you know, government, Cold War, whatever... Let's, you know, he must have interests in, you know, gentlemen's things like horse racing and, you know, 
shooting sports and all that. So let's put him in the situation where he he's doing that, and then he happens to stumble upon the true plot. But it is it's just filler. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. So, but that aside, is it an engaging movie? Because you didn't remember much of this movie. You had seen it before. Yeah, like but didn't remember much. Yeah, I guess it's kind of engaging. But it's like, it's just dated, I think, is the problem. Yeah. It's not that it's even a bad movie. It's just a dated movie. Like, okay, so we've watched other movies from this era of, like, the 80s and early 90s. that were, like, action-ish movies. So we watched Cutthroat Island. We watched Chain Reaction. We watched Bird on a Wire. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so of the... And then let's throw this one in. Like, of those four movies, they all have very similar like weaknesses where we're looking at the action sequences and the overall narrative through and the lens. And they all of have chases today. with unconventional modes of transportation. Yes. Limps, swamp boats, skis, typical cars. Fire engines. Fire engines. Motorcycles. Limps, helicopters. Yes. Man. Okay. So of those four where do you think this one ranks? Do you think it's better than those three I just mentioned? It's definitely better than Chain Reaction. Okay. Which, interestingly enough, I would say Chain Reaction is the most similar to this movie. It is. Because yeah. then there you have kind of cutting-edge technology, bad guys trying to corner the market or destroy their competition or, you know, quash the the threat to their capital. It's a very kind of yeah. evil capitalist trying to maintain control narrative. Yeah. So right. I think it was better overall than Chain Reaction. Okay. I thought it was more interesting than Bird on a Wire. And Cutthroat Island is the worst of them. And the Cutthroat four. Island is the worst of all of them. So then So it might it be was, the best of those four. It be, okay. So there you go. That so when we're looking at dated eighties, nine early nineties action films, this is actually probably better than other ones we've looked at. This movie also had an incredibly amazing, awfully stupid assassination method that I want to talk about for a second. Okay. okay. So they're at this... Restaurant. Restaurant that happens to have a musical act, some sort of performing act. It's this woman dancing with butterflies that are magical, but they're just butterflies on little fishing wire. So then Grace Jones, in disguise, comes in... <laughs> And kills a man with a fishing hook. By, like, flipping one of these butterflies into his into face. Into his face. With a presumably with poisoned, a poisoned hook or something. fishing hook. Yeah. It was, I mean, for a James Bond movie, like, come on. That's how you're going to kill somebody? What I love is that that guy's last name, that detective guy that he was meeting with who got killed, was Aubergine, which means eggplant. It does mean eggplant. So. Grace Jones' character's name is May Day. First name May, last name Day, full name Mayday, and then for some reason they call her Mayday throughout the whole movie. They just call her May. And not May. So my question though is, I feel like this movie did, I'm not going to sit here and like pick it apart and say, oh, it was like so terrible because of this, 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 because I don't really feel like anything awful stands out. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying like, I can't like sit there and be like, oh yeah, this part, like besides like, okay, maybe the horse racing part could have just been cut out of the whole plot line. But what other things does this movie do well? Like I kind of mentioned how I feel like Grace Jones was like really, I like, I really liked her as the 
the right-hand henchman. Um, I feel like she did a good job at that. And even though, you know, her acting's not great, it's the same kind of criticism we would have of Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, any person whose main forte isn't acting, mm -hmm. it's being, like, an action star. And granted, she's right. a model, but I feel like she did a good job of being, like, the strong, silent, like... Yeah, I think, yeah, she's fine. Yeah. And then Tanya Roberts was just, like, eye candy. I mean... Yeah. That's very typical James Bond yes. girl. And oh, yeah. one of the other assassin girls in the harem was the uh, Nazi chick from the... Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Jones. Yeah. I feel, like, I feel like overall this movie did more things well than it did poorly. What do you think? Well, as I said before, I'm not even convinced that this is the worst James Bond movie ever made. Right. <laughs> even though by our standards, it would be considered that, just as far as, you know, if you look at critical reviews of it. But at the same time, as we've kind of alluded to going on, because of the era that it's from, I think you kind of have to grade it on the curve of what else was happening at the time. And even when we do that, it still comes out I mean, I don't top. even... I, I have the very unpopular opinion. I'm going to anger people. And I won't get into specifics to anger people, but I feel like there's several 80s beloved action movies that really don't hold up today. Yeah. We've watched a few of them. One of them is Predator. That is gonna, <laughs> what, that's what really is going to make people mad. Okay? But they just, they're not as exciting as movies that come out today. I'm not saying they're worse necessarily. I just think, yeah. We, Hollywood has grown a lot as far as what, what things they can do to, you know, excite and inspire. And so when you grade things on a curve, then I think that probably, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with Die Another Day is probably a worse movie than this. Is that one of the That's, Pierce Brosnan ones? Yeah, it's the last Pierce Brosnan one where they tried, their, their goal was to, like, destroy the demilitarized zone in Korea with a giant diamond satellite so that they could, like, North Korea oh. could invade South Korea and kill everybody. I remember the thing with the diamond satellite, yeah. I think. Was that the, oh, was that the, the one, one with, with um, yeah. I mean, I think Roger Moore was too old. I think. I don't know. I mean, like. The man was, like, 58. Okay, but, like, this. just looking at him on, like, he didn't look, like, haggard. No, he didn't. He didn't look, like, wrinkly. No. I mean, yeah, some of the action fight sequences were, like, slow. Like, you know, they weren't the super fast, cool, exciting Chris Evans, Sebastian Stan, like, fist fight from mm -hmm. Winter Soldier. But they're... I, I don't think he looked too old. Like, I feel like nowadays action stars look older than he looks in this maybe movie. The, okay, maybe the problem is, and this just came to me, they don't do a good job of selling him being defeatable. And this might just be a criticism of James Bond in general. You know what makes Indiana Jones great and amazing? Is he gets his ass kicked a lot. In this movie, he got his ass kicked. But not to the point... Like, Indiana Jones, like, almost gets lucky yeah. way too often. Where it's like, oh... You're going to die. Oh, except that I have a gun and that guy has a sword. Oh, well, you're good for... Like, it's like he, the Lone Ranger one. <laughs> kind of, yeah, like, oh, good thing, you know, the airplane is accidentally, like, you know, spinning and the propeller is going to cut this guy's head off because otherwise I would die right now. Like, he yeah. would choke me out. 
James Bond doesn't necessarily have that. Like, yeah, he always gets captured, but then he always gets out. Some Like, nobody is ever like, oh, no, yeah. they've captured you. At, just kill at you. At multiple points in this movie, James Bond was unconscious. Well, at multiple points in this movie, <laughs> if the bad guys had just put a bullet in his head, it would have been over. Yeah. They're like, oh, we got to hide him. So let's put his, instead of just killing him. We've already killed the other guy. They're both in the car. Well, let's just push the car into the lake. And then James Bond manages to live because he goes over and he breathes air out of the That I totally called tire. before it was going to happen. Yes. <laughs> so, to some degree, it's the ineptness of the bad guys. It always yeah. is. No, I... That's a trope, too. Like, the, I know the it bad is. guy has to yeah, monologue, so the hero has time to escape. But at the same time here, he never monologues. Like, he never... He's just dumb. Like... Just And what's insane, too, is, like, while he was in the mine, Christopher Walken had this whole plan. So not only was he going to blow up his own workers, they brought, like, Uzis? Like some yeah, they type just started of killing everyone. <laughs> machine guns so they could just mow them all down right. and not have and to worry about it. For showing us that Christopher Walken was a ruthless psychopath, like, he was not... He did not just kill, and try to kill James And killed, Bond. like, multiple people. She killed the CIA guy. She killed the knight pretending as a chauffeur, the sir, whatever his right. name was. Like, she doesn't have a problem killing. Christopher Walken doesn't have a problem killing. And yet, for some reason, oh, no, let's keep James Bond unconscious and tie him to this thing. Yeah. So I guess my point is maybe that's kind of just a flaw of James Bond is that he never, you just always know he's going to win. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know Indiana Jones is going to win deep down too because, you know, he's the hero and it's an action-adventure movie. But at the same time, like, look at End of Raiders. They don't, he doesn't necessarily defeat the bad guys as they defeat themselves because they tempt fate by opening up the Ark of the Covenants, right? Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's an example. Like, that doesn't happen in the James Bond world. He always just somehow manages to, you know, oh, no, I got out. Like, I. Well, the two bad myself. guys in this defeated themselves because they couldn't figure out how to throw the bundle of dynamite outside of the blimp. That's true. Yes. They were busy, busy squabbling over it instead of just throwing it yes. at James Bond. Final thoughts on A View to a Kill. Should people watch this movie? I mean,. If you like James Bond, I don't think that you should ignore this movie. I don't think this movie is necessarily, like, a pockmark on the franchise. Like, yeah. this is not the James Bond equivalent of the Matrix sequels, for example. Yeah. Like, the you know, those are movies where you're like, ugh. They, I want to pretend they never made those, right? Mm -hmm. This, I don't think you pretend. You just kind of take it and, oh, yeah, huh, that was the, well, the Roger Moore era. Yeah, whatever, you so, know. Crazy Roger Moore. Like, not as good as some of the other James Bonds. But, yeah. you know, it's still, if you're, if you're a diehard fan, you still are going to enjoy it. So I'm not going to say, like, watch this movie because, I mean, granted, I'm, I'm really not a huge fan of the James Bonds right. movies. Like... I've seen the Pierce Brosnan ones because, you know, your parents take you to whatever movies they go to. Yeah. And then I saw the Daniel Craig ones because you like them. <laughs> so I went right. to go see them. And there are some of even the Daniel Craig ones I don't like as much. But mm -hmm. this one, I feel like it's not any worse than any of those to me. Mm -hmm. And as like an action movie, it's better than some of the ones we've watched in the past. What I think is funny... 
thinking about the overall James Bond franchise is I think whoever plays James Bond typically peaks within the first couple of movies they make and then it kind of goes downhill from there. And that's happened with all, all of, of them. them. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, so the first couple, the first like four Sean Connery movies are considered to be better than the rest of the ones he made. The first Roger Moore. So you're saying Timothy Dalton did the right thing with the one and done? Just, he made two. Sure. The two but and even, done. Even there, I think the first one is better. I don't have to remember. <laughs> but, I mean, Pierce Brosnan, I think Goldeneye, Goldeneye is my favorite James Bond, partly because of nostalgia, because it was the first one I saw when I was a kid, and it was like, oh, this is awesome. I know I loved the video game. Used but, to stand at my right. friend's house at three in the morning when I was like in middle school to go play that. Yeah. And, and that, was, that was definitely the best Pierce Brosnan movie. I think everybody would agree. Yeah. And it kind of went again, you know, die another day by the, by the last one he made was like, ugh. Daniel Craig's movies have been a little bit just more like uneven. Yeah. I thought like they kind of hit or miss. The first one was, was good. I didn't like the second, the second one he did. And then I did like the third one. And then the fourth one was mediocre. So he basically went. So my, is it the Star Trek movie problem where like the even uh, ones are good and the odd ones are bad? Something, something <laughs> like that. They can't string together a couple of good movies in order. Yeah. Um, maybe. So, but my point is, I don't know if that's the age issue that, you know, critics talked about is, oh, you're getting too old to play. We need to, you know, get somebody fresh in here. Or if it's just that they rest on their laurels and they have to start making bad movies for the studio to shake it up and go, hey, what? No, people are starting to, you know, not go and not want to see this. And we need to reboot the franchise every generation. And you make a bunch of sequels with the same, you know, with you choose an actor and you make uh, several movies or you change actors, but it's still canonically the same character. Mm-hmm. I guess we're just talking about the future of James Bond, like... You know. Are you saying it's because you want Idris Elba to be a black James Bond and that would only work that. if... See, I, don't, I would love that too because I love him. I also love him. But I don't really see a problem with it. You just... It, it, who cares? He's Especially after seeing him in it. Hobbs of Shaw as black Superman. I want to see Idris Elba in everything. I mean, I wanted to see him in everything before, but now I want to see it even more. Yeah. I bet he's older than Daniel Craig, though. But apparently, with as we've seen with Sean Connery and Roger Moore, that, that's not a problem. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to see, like... I mean, I feel like with the Daniel Craig ones, weren't they trying to make him, like, young James Bond? Like, I mean, kind of, so, just become well, James Bond? What was kind of funny about that is that it was, like, the third movie almost functioned... His third movie almost almost functioned as like an origin story Batman Begins style thing where they're like, oh, you know, bring him in to this point. Oh, now we realize that this guy is M and this is Money Penny and like them starting out on this path. You know what I mean? And yeah. Like, but they just made two movies already with it. It wasn't yeah. the first one, you know? <laughs> so I think it's fine. All right. So any final thoughts for the people? Dries Silva is not older than Daniel Craig. Nice. By four years. But he's still almost 50 years old. Nice. Okay. So with you to a kill, while considered by many as terrible choice for James Bond, might actually be one of the better action movies to come out of the well, 80s. One of the better badly reviewed 
Yeah, it's not definitely one of the better. I mean, Terminator, the Terminator Aliens. movies, Alien movie. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of better action movies, but as a product of the '80s, it's not the worst. Yes, thing to come out of the '80s. Not the worst the '80s had to offer. And <laughs> in my opinion, the theme song for this movie by Duran Duran is probably a top ten James Bond theme song. Maybe top five even. I don't know. You know, if you if you have the James Bond theme soundtrack, whatever, you know, like the, you know, there is, which is a thing. I, I had a copy of it burned by my friend when we were in high school. Uh, one of the better songs. So, we'll leave it at that. There you go. Thank you for listening to this week's One Star Bazaar. You can reach out to us on social media at One Star Bazaar to let us know what you think or what you'd like us to watch next. Please rate and review if you're willing. It lets us know you're listening, and we do appreciate your feedback. Next week, we will be joined by a special guest as we review a movie that made less than $10,000 at the U.S. box office. <laughs> Beneath the Darkness. That movie less than $10,000? Yes. And 